Drama Queen, June 1st, 2011. They say only the good die young, and I guess it's true because I'm still here. Today is my 85th birthday. During these years, I have lived three lives, before Marilyn, being Marilyn, and after. I created Marilyn Monroe and then men molded her. Studios, agents, and husbands. Ever since the night I did not die, I have tried to leave her behind. But wherever I went, the creature followed. I tried to run. I tried changing my name, my country of residence, my hair color, body type, career, and sexual preference. I went to college for coursework in humanities and studied Russian literature. But there was no escaping her. The character I created became my own personal monster and devoured me in the 50s. And after she died, I could no more be someone else than I could grow people, change my skin color, or stop being a movie star. My so-called death scene is always described the same. My housekeeper, Eunice Murray, finds my wasted, naked body tangled in a sheet, wet from secretions better left unexplained. I am face down with one hand hanging over the telephone. This detail is discussed often. Am I answered a call or make one? And if I am calling, then whom? But it did not happen that way. I cheated death. Eunice, Eunice Murray administered an enema of chloral hydrate on the orders of my psychiatrist, Ralph Greenson. My psychiatrist wanted me dead because he could no longer contain me. Eunice Murray wanted me dead because I had fired her and this was her last day on the job. But they didn't succeed and the reported sightings of Marilyn Monroe still walking the earth are absolutely true, because here's what happened. On the night of August 4, 1962, young Joey DiMaggio III, that is the Yankee Clippers son, on leave from Camp Pendleton where he served in the Marines, arrived on the doorstep of Palm Drive, my home in Brentwood, at 8 p.m. No sound announced his arrival. Nothing in my world stirred. He was tall like his father, but with a fuller face, so his nose was not quite so prominent. Probably the lamp over the doorbell cast a diligent spotlight over his jaw, creating a moody study in light and shadow, the kind of shot you might see in a noir film from the 40s. Joey was kinder than his father. He had a heart bigger than the new Yankee Stadium, and he used it to fill with people not always the nicest, nicest kind. DiMaggio, the father, might have been the last American knight, but it was his son who saved my life. Joey and I were close from the time he was 10, when Clipper Joe and I were courting the first time. We shared the same disease, which became evident in Joey by the time he was in his early teens. I can't say he was like a child to me, because that would demean the memory of his mother, Dorothy Olson DiMaggio. I was a scandal to the DiMaggio family, and this book is meant only to tell what really happened and to make amends where I can. So let's say Joey was more like my nephew. He had broken his engagement and wanted to talk. Joey had a key to every place I lived, but I imagined before he let himself in that he stood for a few moments at the doorway where the bougainvillea had lately blossomed in time for my birthday. Always around my birthday, everywhere, I make sure there is the sweet scent of hibiscus, bougainvillea, lilacs, and lilies. I was a spring baby. No one could ever take that away from me. My backyard was a perfumery because prior to my death, 
Joe D. and I had planned to remarry on August 8th, and I had arranged for a profusion of flowers and flowering shrubs to be planted around the garden. There were lilacs, bougainvillea, and hibiscus, of course, and yellow roses. I had overdone it, really, but what didn't I overdo? The colors and the fragrance gave me pleasure right up until the moment on that night in August when I lost consciousness, and the third part of my life began after Maryland.